it is so encouraging to know our every thought, prayer, action, a simple act of worship is heard before the Lord. And uh, especially here on the, on the Lord's Day. And we're grateful to dig in to get to know our God better. This series on who God is has helped me so much beneficially, while at the same time has convicted me about how much I fall short of God's glory. Right, Because the more you look at his glory, the more you are undone and you realize I am so unworthy. I, d- I don't deserve to know Jesus. I don't deserve to be the one opening the word to you this morning. And if you're thinking to yourself, man, I could be at any church here in North Sarasota. I don't have to be here listening to Josh. There are better speakers out there. It is true. Absolutely. But I think that is what makes God so glorious. He can and chooses to use every single one of us. Fills us with his grace, reveals himself to us. And this morning, I humbly come before you to reveal God, well, not reveal God, but to just share how God has revealed himself as Adonai, the great Lord, the sovereign one. Um, That term uh, uh, connotes power, authority, mastership, rulership. What's different about this week compared to the weeks before is uh, like Yahweh. That's God's personal name, or Yah, which is short for Yahweh. And so that's that's how he introduced himself. If, if he was wearing a name tag, it says Israel, this is who I am. Adonai is actually a title, the title of reverence and respect. So he is Adonai, he is Lord, but he's more than that. This is one title that we need to keep in mind when we approach him and how we talk to him. It's not necessarily a technical name, but you cannot have a right relationship with God if you don't know him as Adonai. It's absolutely vital for life and health. Listen to this verse, Psalm 140, verse 7. O Yahweh, my Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. In that context, I think we can all recognize the importance of knowing How do I know my salvation is secure? I'm covered, that God's got my back and he's watching over me. He's Adonai. He is Lord. He is Lord over me and everyone I come in contact with in every circumstance of my life. And what I appreciate about the passage that Nadia read for us from Isaiah 6 is this is the picture that we need to have of God and Isaiah was blessed enough to see it. God gave him the vision of where God sits and what that looks like. And so I invite you to turn to Isaiah 6. And and this is, we'll be in a few different texts because this idea is all throughout Scripture, but it's so important to see God revealed in his throne room and recorded for us to also see. So I'll give you just a minute to get there. Isaiah chapter 6. And this is in the year that King Uzziah died. So there's a transition in power and leadership in the kingdom of Judah. So, for those that aren't familiar with Old Testament history, there was one unified nation, the 12 tribes of Israel, and then King Rehoboam, in his foolishness, split the kingdom because he told them he was going to drive them like like slaves and whip them with scorpions and ignored the counsel of the wise men. Anyway, it was a whole mess. So, the kingdom split between Israel up here and Judah down here. Judah was just two tribes, but was a kingdom in itself. And King Uzziah was a godly king. For most of his life, a very faithful king. Now, he did screw up, like we all do. (laughs) But he he was consistent. He was seeking after the Lord. So you can imagine when he dies, 
this is a time of, of difficulty for Isaiah. There's turmoil. What's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. And, and in the kingdom, when there's a transfer of power, there's usually bloodshed. And then the whole nation can go right back to the idol worship and setting up the, the, the false temples and the groves and the high places and child sacrifice. So you think that our country goes through a lot of turmoil every four years. How much more so in a kingdom where the king makes the rules and the laws as he goes along? He can follow the Lord or not. So in the year that King Uzziah died, here's what God shows to Isaiah. I saw the Lord, Adonai, and he's sitting on a throne. This is not just any earthly throne. He's high and he's lifted up. And the train of his robe fills the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. So if you didn't know what you were singing a moment ago, what's cherubim and seraphim? Those are angels, angelic messengers, not human beings. But they are personalities. They are, are spirit beings created as messengers of God's will and his glory. Above the glory of God are the seraphim. And what interesting creations they are. Six wings covering the faces, covering the feet. Two that fly. And here's what they're saying. Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So we're all interested in angels, right? I, I want to know more about angels and guardian angels and, and demons too. There's spiritual warfare. They're like, oh, you need to look at God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And even as the angel's speaking, the foundations of the threshold shake. The house is filled with smoke. Because it's like God is amening, <laughs> you know, from the gut. It's the angel that's speaking, but who gives the angel life and power? God is shaking the foundations of the temple. And Isaiah sees what we see. Woe is me. I'm undone. I, I could just dissipate right now because I do not deserve to be seeing him. I have unclean lips. I live in the midst of people with unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. So let that focus be in your mind as we see, what does it mean that God is Lord? That's what it means. Adonai, enthroned above all, in power and glory and majesty, and we all should be falling on our faces, cutting our lips wide open with hitting the ground as fast as we can, because he can literally eviscerate us with his glory, but instead he invites us in to see him and to draw strength from him. So um, instead of doing my typical three points today, you know, we have a main point, we have three points. I'm going to share, this is just the main point we need to know from Adonai, that he is Lord over all, he's king over all. And then we're going to look at two implications. What does that mean for us, for our community, and for the world? So looking at the fact that he is king over all, I think we can all identify with the transition that, that Isaiah was facing here. Just this past week in the news, what kind of big world events happened and shifts of power or threats to shift of power that none of us saw coming? I did not, I did not foresee a mercenary group <coughs> deciding to take on Russia and start to march on Moscow. Like, they're a superpower. That doesn't happen. But I can tell you, Putin paid attention to that. And this was a big deal in the whole world. Literally every world leader they're interviewing is saying, we are closely monitoring the events. 
yeah, you better be, because yeah. this is a this is a big deal. It's like the whole eastern side of the, uh, the Asian continent here that this would affect, and the whole world economy. Did any of us see that coming? Did any of us have control over any of that? We're just spectators. At best, the President of the United States can just listen to the intel that they're giving him. Who? Himself. Well, he's making calls. He's trying to figure things out, but he didn't anticipate that. He didn't plan for that. So we're, we're familiar with uncertainty. We're familiar with, with nations and governments and disruptions. And when that happens, how do we react? We react, you know, what in the world? And, you know, hey, what are all the comments on, on social media? That's what, I, that's what I like to jump to. Okay, I read the story, but then I read the comments because people are just funny, you know? They're, yeah. they're angry about something or they're joking about something that, you know, they shouldn't. It's just like, I don't, I don't get people, but it, it, it fascinates me. So, you know, I look at the comments. So there's all these reactions. Where do we turn in this time of uncertainty? And, guys, if that were to happen in our country, if there was an overthrow, if there was another civil war, any of the plans that we have made for the next month, how much control do you have over that? It's above us. And who is above all of the kings and the kingdoms, the stars, the ones that are burning out or the ones that are being formed in the nebula and birthed out of the nebula? God is over all. He is on the throne, and he's not getting off anytime soon, nor do we want him to. And Isaiah says, not only is he above all, but he has the character to support that. He's holy, 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 which means he is so pure. He's so set apart from anything unclean or unrighteous or unworthy. He has the character to... to um, how do you say it? He, he's not going to write a check that he can't back. So when God makes a promise, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He can back it up. When he says to my people, I will be with you. I will never forsake you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. This isn't some president. This isn't some earthly king that breaks their promises like that. This is the Lord over all. And he is beautiful. And here's the thing about him. He doesn't need your permission to rule. He is unapologetic about his sovereign reign. And we need him to reign because if he stops, what happens to us? And this whole universe that he created by the breath of his mouth, we're gone. There's, there's nothing left. We need him to keep everything in order. So we need to properly acknowledge he is at the center of this. I don't hold my life together. He does. And if you want to know how many times the Bible talks about his lordship, why is it such a big deal? In the Old Testament, Adonai God occurs 439 times. And there's heavy uses of Adonai in Isaiah, 202 usages in Ezekiel. These are important big books about prophecy, showing that the Lord is in control of the events of Israel, what's going on. Uh, I talked to one of you this morning, and one of you was reading Daniel last night. Dan 11 times in Daniel, just chapter 9, Adonai is used. And it's talking about kingdoms. It's talking about who's in control. Is Nebuchadnezzar in control? Is Daniel? No. God is in control, and he rules overall unapologetically. I love the fact that it says that his train fills the temple. 
Do you, do you recognize that picture? The royal robe? So the closest we get to it is a royal wedding, you know, or, or a state of affairs. And, and the queen walks in and she's got a train, which now is, is it Camilla? How do you say it? Queen Camilla? I, I think. Yeah. I think it's how you say it. Because Elizabeth passed, passed away, right? So Camilla, if she wears a dress with a long train, typically that would be like 13 feet. So pretty long and flowing and regal and... If you're a guest, if you're a guest watching on the side, you're not going to just go step on that train, right? You know, like, oh my goodness, if I'm not supposed to be anywhere near her touch, I am not going to. But what do you do if the king's train fills the temple? It like overflows to the angels, overflows Isaiah. You're not going to be walking on that train. So that's just a picture of the weight, the gravitas you could say in the latin of if you encounter god you don't go up to him and say who are you to tell me what to do right. <laughs> uh i fill this place you are lucky even to get a glimpse of me how blessed are you and i'm king over all which means he's king over israel and if you want to make sense of the old testament and all the crazy passages you know so and so did this and that was terrible and then god judged them and what is going on? It's because God is king over Israel, and they made a covenant with him that they were going to go with him, and he would bring them to the promised land. They would worship him there. He would be their only God, and he would appoint rulers to serve under him, like Moses and Joshua. But he calls the shots, and Israel went wrong because they started to go after other nations and other false gods. So what does the king have the right to do in his kingdom if you commit an act of treason? Banishment. And he warned them over and over, over hundreds of years, through many prophets, through the revealed word of God, repent and turn back to me. I will punish you because you are breaking my law and you are killing each other and you are ruining what I have set up for you. They didn't listen. So he banishes them. But he's fully in control. He says, in 70 years, I'll bring you back. And you can check me on this. If you go to, uh, or, or, or just type it in your phone, Second Chronicles chapter 36, or Ezra chapter 1. This is a significant moment in human history and um, Jewish history where a king of Persia actually gives a decree, all of my prisoners can go back. The Jews can go back to their land, and they can rebuild the temple if they want. What kind of foreign power would give such a decree? And it just so happens to be 70 years from the day that the Jews were exiled. So who's really the king? Even though they were conquered by the other nations, God is on the throne this entire time. In fact, I just read this passage the other day in Isaiah 36 and 37. I know I'm jumping through passages here, but you, you just got to get the picture of who our Lord is. So Hezekiah is the king, and he's one of the last kings of Judah, and he's in Jerusalem, and, and uh, there's a, a, a king, a king of, of another nation named Sennacherib, and his general comes and he taunts Jerusalem. Their army of almost 200,000 troops have surrounded Jerusalem. Jerusalem's not that, that big of a city. Um, surrounded her up and is mocking her says, you can't stop us. Who is your God to deliver you out of my hands? The other gods of the other nations, they didn't stop us. We conquered them. 
we're going to conquer you as well. And these are the Assyrians, and they did conquer Israel to the north. So surely they're going to conquer Judah to the south. But here's where they overstepped. They didn't just taunt the Jews. They taunted God. Your God cannot save you. And God says, you know what? I'll take that challenge. And overnight, God annihilates 185,000 soldiers of the Assyrians. And so the king, with his tail between his legs, goes back home, and he's worshiping in the temple to his false god, and his own sons take his life. That's how his story ends. But God <coughs> provides for his people. Because he's the king. He's on the throne. And you're like, well, where does Jesus fit into all this? Because Jesus, he wasn't Lord, but then when he ascended from the dead, did he become Lord? No, the New Testament is clear. Jesus is the king. He's the coming king to the Jews. He's referred to as Lord, get this, 740 times in the New Testament. If you thought the Old Testament talked about God's lordship, look at the New Testament, because this is God come near. He's not just in the temple on the throne. He has come down to bring the throne of God near to us so we can relate to him and he can sit on the throne of our hearts. Jesus is king. And he presents himself as king. And then he allows himself to be rejected and killed and betrayed so then he can show he's even the king over death. That's something that no other king can do. But God most high can. That's Adonai. And Ephesians 1 tells us Christ, when he was raised from the dead, he was seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, far above every rule, every authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named in this age and also in the age to come. And God the Father put under his feet all things and gave him as head of the church. So he's king over all in Living Hope Church. He's the king over our church. You ask, who's in charge of this church? It's not Pastor Josh. It's not Pastor Dennis. It's not you. It's Jesus Christ. He's on the throne of heaven right now. And that's why we pray, and that's why we listen to his word. It's We come for worship for the word. Don't come for my opinion or my thoughts on things. Don't come for the music. Although, Mark, thank you so much. I appreciate the help, and, and you all sing so well, but don't even come for that. Come to see the king, high and lifted up. That's worship, and he is worthy of worship. And then as we go out of worship all week long, we're telling people how amazing our king is. Every tongue, we want every tongue to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That gives God glory. And if you don't recognize that, then you're falling short of that powerful relationship that comes from knowing the Lord. I don't know, maybe you hear this term a lot, maybe you've used it. In order for someone to become a Christian, sometimes we say, well, you need to invite Jesus into your heart. Okay? You need to invite him. And I've used that term before, too. I, I, I think it's a good term. But I think there also needs to be an understanding here that when we say that, what we're not saying is, you are Lord over your life, and you need to give Jesus permission to come into your life. You see where that, that kind of thinking might come in? Oh, you know, it is... You can decide to follow Jesus or not. No, the Bible tells us that one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. 
But will you acknowledge that he is Lord and Savior now while there's grace and mercy to be found? Will you humble yourself now? And they can't humble themselves and come to a relationship with God if we don't tell them the truth. Jesus Christ is Lord. And he is the only Lord. He's not just one way to heaven. He is the way to heaven. But say you're talking with a, with a, a skeptical friend. And he's like, ah, you know, why should I follow this Lord? Why should I give him absolute control over your life? What's on his resume? You can point to how many passages in the Bible, and I've given you several here. Colossians 1, Ephesians 1, Isaiah 6, Isaiah 36 and 7, Genesis 1, Genesis 15. The whole Bible speaks to the lordship of God, but it also records how he uses his power. The Bible is his resume. God doesn't have to prove anything to us. He doesn't have to give us the Bible you know, has God overseen? Can God successfully manage a group of people? You know, can God oversee the finances of my life? How do I, how do I know he can do that? Because he exists outside of the need for money. He, he created the world. He created time. He doesn't rely on things like you and I. He's out of nigh. You need to repent for the fact that you even tried to be Lord of your life and recognize who he is this whole time. What I love is when I, when I wrestle with my stress, I've come to recognize that oftentimes my stress comes because I'm trying to be Lord again. I'm trying to get things planned out and figured out, and I'm worried about what's still to come. And I'm not saying those are not legitimate concerns. You know, where's, where's the, the, that next check going to come from? And, and, and inflation and, and groceries and the cost of living in this area, my goodness, those are all legitimate concerns. But when we stress about it, and we overthink it, and we lose sleep over it, what am I doing? I'm wringing my hands over the future instead of saying, God, you're already there. Help me just to trust. I'm where I'm supposed to be, and you are going to work through this for good. Same thing with shame and regrets. Hey, if we're worried about the future, guilt and shame is worrying about the past. Guess what? The Lord is sovereign over that too. And when he says, you come to me and you put your faith in me, all is forgiven. And I have chosen to forget those things. I'm not going to bring them back to mind again. What does it mean when you and I keep bringing them back to mind? Try to be Lord again. And we all do it. So I hope you recognize that God is a gracious Lord too. He's a gracious King over your past, your present, in your future and if you're here this morning I know some of you are um, if you've if you've had a, a, a really difficult season a loss someone taken home someone taken prematurely a relationship that ended poorly is God really in control of that or is it just people or is it just you know we all die death is final death is Lord overall but Jesus says I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you will see the Father if you come through me. If you lean on me for understanding, I'll make all your ways straight. Even the way that leads beyond the grave. So whether it's stress or shame or suffering, friends, he is king. He's out an eye. He's still on the throne. Let that bring peace to your heart this morning. Unless, of course, you've rejected his rule. 
then you should not be at peace. But I invite you to bow the knee and to trust him, that he even is willing to be king over your life, though you have rejected him for so many years. So if he's king over all, then there's two implications from that. First of all, if he is king over all, then his authority demands my submission. Because I'm not overall a part of his kingdom. I'm actually a servant in his kingdom. And this is why when you have spiritual conversation with somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, usually they have no problem admitting, well, Jesus was a wise person. He was a good teacher. He did good things. He healed people. I got no problem with Jesus. Okay, great. Do you also realize that Jesus said he is Lord and you must obey him? Oh, hold on now. Now they now let me backpedal. Wait a minute, I, just, I thought you just said Jesus is a good teacher. I thought you said he's a wise individual. But when he says he's Lord, now we balk. Why is that? I think we know our human nature, don't we? I want to call the shots at the end of the day. And someone who believes in nothing and says all roads lead to heaven is trying to remove themselves from the responsibility to deal with the truth claims of God. This is who I am. This is my identity. This is my title. Maybe Jesus isn't the only Lord. Do you see that, that, that sneaky rebellion? It's, it's the exact same as if you said, God, I hate you. I want nothing to do with you. And then to say, you know, well, maybe there's multiple ways to heaven. It's the exact same kind of rebellion because you're taking God's word and rejecting it. Now, when his train fills the, the temple and the whole earth is full of his glory, you know what God is not worried about right then or even right now? He doesn't care what Americans in 2023 think about his fairness. Right? Our cultural sensitivities. Oh, I hope. Oh, maybe I should have. Maybe I shouldn't have revealed some of these things about myself because I'm, I'm worried about that millennial in New York City in 2023 and what they're thinking about me. God is not on the throne wringing his hands, wondering what the latest cultural idea about him, um, wh how that's taking an, an effect, and, and do they think God is fair? He is who he is. He has revealed his glory. You either take it or you don't. Now, he is gentle. He is gracious. He is fair. When you look at the totality of who he is and what he's done, but, you know, we don't need to apologize for God. And I think that's where a lot of Christians, we can get tripped up today. Um, I, I know pastors and preachers, um, you know, pastors and I try to keep a, um, an ear out for good resources for you all, but there are some preachers I will not recommend to you to listen to their sermons because they're apologetic, not, not good apologetics, defending the faith, bad apologetic of uh, sorry I know this passage makes God out to be a meanie and I agree with you guys he's, he's pretty mean here but you know what that was the Old Testament Jesus let's look at Jesus and but even Jesus said if you do not follow me you have no place with me I will cast you into outer darkness where there's gnashing of teeth there's no distinction between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God he's just come in our midst we don't apologize for that but we should do what Isaiah does. And he says, I am the one who messed up. I am the one with unclean lips. And I am not the Lord. And if you're here this morning, like many Christians, 
and you say Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, but your life does not match up at all with the teachings and the life that Jesus has called us to live, then here's what the Lord has to say to you in Luke 6, 46-49. Why do you call me Lord and you do not do what I say? You call me Lord, but you don't do what I say. The, the whole point of, of lordship is I'm over you. I'm over this. Well, thanks for the suggestion, Jesus, but I like my life the way it is. Who's really Lord of your life? So take a word from our Lord, and if you are a follower of Jesus, then we need to keep his commandments. We need to love him. John 14, 15 doesn't make a distinction. Love God or keep the commandments. It's both. Because when you experience a genuine relationship with Jesus, what does love look like? Loving someone by telling them the truth. Loving someone means you don't steal from them. Loving someone means you keep your word and your commitment. Loving someone means that you, you help the needy when it's not convenient. We don't make a distinction between love or truth. Jesus says, in my kingdom, there's both. And if you're my follower, my spirit is in you to help you walk that way, that way of wisdom. By my authority, go and make disciples. If Jesus is king over the nations, can you say he's also king over your heart this morning? He is Adonai. And I know a man named Frank, and I love Frank's story. And I, I've told it before, but it was, a, it was a while back, and a lot of you probably didn't hear it. But Frank was a friend of mine at, uh, at our previous church. And Frank had an absolute crazy testimony of how he came to faith in Jesus. He used to deal drugs. He'd say, okay, you know, I know, I know a few people that have dealt drugs or, or taken drugs. No, like he, he smuggled plane loads of drugs into the country. He, he's the guy the feds are looking for. Okay, this, these are the cartels. Big deal. This is Frank. Now, if you were to look at Frank's life from a human perspective, Frank was free. Frank could do whatever he wanted. He could cuss, sleep around, deal drugs, roll in the cash. As long as he avoided arrest, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good life, right? He's free. No one's going to tell Frank what to do. But then he got busted. He got arrested. And he realized behind bars, he actually wasn't free at all. He'd been a slave that entire time. His drugs and his sinful behavior and his attitudes and his everything had enslaved him. He was not actually lord over his life. And that's when God met him in that cell and God saved him. And he surrendered his life to Jesus. And that's actually when he found freedom. And if you meet Frank today, you would say that is the sweetest, most gracious, most gentle, most purposeful individual I've ever met in my life. Where did he find this? He found that when he realized who Jesus was and he surrendered his life to him. That's it. It's that simple. Freedom is not doing whatever I want. Freedom is I have the ability to do what is right. That's true freedom. And uh, one famous preacher said, The world has yet to see what God can do with a man who's fully set apart to him. God gets a hold of your life. 
friends, you have all the potential and the purpose in the world to give people a glimpse of the glory of our great God. Here's the second implication from that. If God is on the throne, right? He's on the throne. And if he has power overall, <laughs> then he also has the power to provide for us. If we obey his word and we do things according to his plan, do we actually think that he will leave us hanging and high and dry? No, he promises, I will provide your every need. Have you heard this verse before? Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I won't lack anything. But it's because my shepherd is my Lord. I know he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the grain and the wine. And he tells the sun when to rise and set. He set all things in motion. He's going to take care of me if I obey him. If I trust him with all my heart, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, and I don't lean on my own ways, I lean on, on his ways, he'll make my paths straight. You don't need to know where you're going. And this is where you and I get stressed out on a lot of things. I need to have a plan. I need, I need to do big and great things for God. We were just talking about this a little earlier. Well, if I just attempt great things for God, then, then things will start coming together. Actually, might fall flat on your face. Okay? God doesn't need us. Take that burden off your shoulders. God is God. He's going to do what is good to him. But if I trust him and I obey his word and I say, okay, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to seek justice. I'm going to love mercy. I'm going to walk humbly with you. Then he brings all of those other things into a right place. How much money will I need, God? Well, will you walk with me? And I'll show you. It might be $5. I've heard some incredible stories of people that had no money, they were flat broke, and God provided for every single one of their needs. And I know of other people who have millions of dollars, and God has used them in incredibly abundant and generous ways. I know, we would all tend to want to be the millionaire, right? <laughs> but how about we all just trust the Lord and walk with Him and see what He does, see what He can do. And who knows, there might be seasons in your life where you experience both of that. Or, what about this one? Who will I marry, Lord? Well, yeah, yeah. When you're younger, you, you, you think that, and then, then you get married, and, you know, some, I don't know. Some, some of you might, might have wished you had waited a little bit longer. You know, I don't know. I'm not, not going to speak for you. But who will I marry? Will I marry? Where will I live? You get really stressed out about that. When am I going to retire? God will take care of you. And I love this little interaction at the end of the Gospel of John where the disciples are seeing the risen, resurrected Jesus. They're out fishing all night. They're frustrated. They're discouraged. They abandon Jesus in his time of need, and they kind of feel like he, he's done with them. You know, He's risen from the dead, but we failed him, and so we're just going to go back to what we know. And fishing is our comfort zone. And Jesus meets them there, gives them a miraculous catch. They come on in, they have breakfast with him, and then he tells Peter something interesting. He actually tells Peter how his life is going to end. He doesn't do that for many people. He tells Peter right there, it's not going to be pleasant. Peter, you're, you're going to be crucified and killed in a manner similar to what I was. Um, I think the way that he says it is, you know, they will stretch out your hands for you. They will carry you where you do not want to go. But everyone understands, God, Peter's, Peter's going to have to give his life. 
for this calling. And what does Peter say? Well, what about John? <laughs> what about that guy? <laughs> is that exactly what we do? Uh, I immediately want to look around for my comfort by comparing myself to others. And I love what Jesus says to him. What is that to you? What is that to you? Are you the one who's going to be there for John every step of his life? Are you the one who's going to be there for him at the end of his life? You leave that to me. I am the Lord. And you trust me for the path that I've given you. As a closing thought, I just want to encourage us all. Maybe you're struggling with, with comparing yourselves to others. Or maybe, maybe we as a church, you know, it'll be really easy to compare. Well, I, I wish we were in this stage. Or you know, what, what, what do we need to do next? And Will we trust the Lord with what we have right here? in front of us I can't control I can't control anybody but (laughs) I can't have an impact on the people who aren't here today but you know who I can have an impact on those who are here today and I want to thank you all for committing to come and worship the Lord this morning and I hope it has not been in vain I hope you've been encouraged from his word him speaking to you he is Lord over every circumstance in your life right now nothing is caught by surprise and if you're angry at him for something if you feel like he has not been fair with you or he's taken something from you and he's not shown himself good to provide in return, may I suggest to you that maybe because you're looking up a cliff of a mountain right now and you can't see the top, it looks like he's not good. And it looks like he's not in control. But in due time, you will see what he has been doing this entire time. And it's not going to require one bit of sovereign control from you. It's going to take the opposite. All right, Lord, you know best. I bring it to your feet. And Lord, today we come to you with our struggles and our worries and our anxieties and we're just so perplexed at the brokenness of this world and our society and and where things are going. But one thing we know, you are Lord over all. And we want to take a minute right now and just thank you for that. Thank you, God. You didn't have to let us get up this morning. You didn't have to give us transportation or some, some good food and some coffee. Didn't have to give us a song to sing. Didn't have to give us your word. You chose to. And Lord, we recognize that we are not Lord over our lives. You're a good Lord. You've given us much. We want to thank you. God, I pray that this morning, whatever you have given us, that we will steward well. If it's our life, that we will not view our life as a piece of trash or or, or struggle with those, those thoughts of wondering whether our life has any purpose. You don't make mistakes. You have made us. So help us to use what you've given us well. God, I ask that you would also provide for the needs of every single person in this church. They are many. If we were all to just list out all of the junk that we've got going on and all the struggles and all the uncertainties, and as we talk it out, we'd realize even more we have no control over what happens next. But you already know those needs. And I pray right now in this moment that we'll bring those to you, give those to you. And turn our fear into faith. Let us taste and see that you are good and that you provide. And 
God, as we go out this week, help us to bless someone else in need. May we, in this moment, take thought of who do we know that does not know you as Lord. And their life is suffering because of it, whether they know it or not. And now we would have a boldness to share that faith with them. Lord, I thank you. For those who aren't here with us this morning, I ask that you guide and direct them. You are Lord wherever they are. Guide and direct us, God, that we would be faithful to the calling on our lives, that the gospel would be what we're all about, because you are worthy of that worship and praise for all of eternity. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.